David. Hello, Beth, and hello to everybody uh, listening. It's really good to have you with us. Definitely is. We're, um, we're trying to get in a new habit of not trying to say it's nice to see you again, because normally we can see each other when we're recording on this like magical device that we have to record us on a podcast, but um, we actually can't see each other right now because the internet is not good enough. So um, it's a good reminder that this is a, an audio uh, thing to have and actually it's, it's always interesting when we listen to it I don't David do you listen to it on a Friday I always listen to it on a Friday diligently to kind of cringe at myself usually but um when we listen to it on a Friday I always really struck that um oh there we go there's a bit of Baptist bingo for the for the thing Beth said I'm struck by um <laughs> <laughs> I'm struck by the times I say I'm struck by and I'm also struck by the times that we say oh it's really good to see you and um, when actually everybody else can hear us so um it's really good to hear you David and it's really good to be heard by you everyone else thanks for tuning in yes so Beth how are you are you uh, still basking in the light of your new appointment I yeah since um since last week we recorded on Tuesday last week and it um went live so to speak on the Wednesday and yeah it's been thank you everybody for your um gorgeous feedback and it's been really encouraging and sort of feel like I should frame all those messages for <laughs> for future um a friend described it as being the right kind of challenges for Beth and I very much feel that that um how I feel about it too that it's just um one of those jobs where I'm really deeply excited for it really um aware of all of what it is um and and kind of yet don't feel unafraid is that the right way I guess I kind of feel very peaceful I feel very peaceful going into this next chapter that's the best way of putting it um gutted to be leaving the teams that I currently have behind as well because they're also fabulous people and I just really have been very honoured to work with them so holding a lot of emotions but um sitting with it and trusting God in the process because that's all we can really do hey but David how are you? Yeah I'm I'm fine actually uh yeah I've had a a good day today and uh, generally just coming to grips with the potential loosening of restrictions in a month or so and what that means and uh, working through all the the various logistics for each group and activity and those sorts of things so but generally life is good and all is well good stuff um so we've got um we've got david bunce on today we have um we're gonna uh we're gonna tell you a little bit i guess a a bit about well David's going to tell you a bit about himself really um and um I guess one of the conversations that we've got to have about David is the fact that um David is is not a British Baptist in its like obvious way of locating him is that the right way of putting it he's a British Baptist abroad um he is an expat British Baptist and we're um we've been very honored to have him and so um he's come to us um i guess live today from from austria um do you want to say something a bit about our eb your ebf experience david um because i know you've had a bit to do with the european baptist federation and and maybe kind of kind of your perspective on that yeah of course i uh, had a, a real privilege of being part of the the first ever uh, what they called the transform program that was run by the the ebf 
And I, I guess I didn't have that much to do with the EBF before. I was aware that it existed. I knew who some of the people were. And one of my main points of connection was uh, Jenny Entrican, who became uh, president of the EBF. And uh, Jenny's a, a friend and uh, was only the second woman ever in the EBF's history to serve as president. And that was a really significant appointment for the EBF. And uh, one of the joys of doing the Transform program when we did was it coincided with her, her presidency. But yeah, so the, the, the idea was you had sort of younger leaders, because despite the fact that people I went to school with are uh, running schools and GP surgeries and businesses in the Baptist world, I would still be considered relatively young. Um, anyway, so I got on to this. I think. <laughs> That's um, what I reckon. It goes up every five years. It was 35. And now I reckon it's at least 40, 45. Oh, well, in which case I might, be, I might get to graduate out of being young soon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's one of those things that seems to be never ended. But anyway, I got on this program and there was people from. So I was the Baptist Union of Great Britain's contribution, I guess, to this thing in the sense that I was the only person from our union. And there were 11 of us um, and people from uh, the UK, Germany, Austria, Denmark, Estonia, Croatia, Bulgaria, Armenia, Turkey, and Lebanon. So I think I've remembered everybody. I've forgotten someone, which is very embarrassing. Um, and it was the 11 of us. Oh, and there was someone else who serves with the International Baptist Convention, but in Germany. And we spent three years together meeting um five times uh, in person for four days in different places i got to go to vienna and to beirut and uh, to yerevan and to glasgow why wouldn't you want to go there as well and and then to um, lviv in ukraine and each of those things we had some teaching some input some sessions and then we'd have sort of work to do things to read in between but the community that we formed the friendships was fantastic and um, I've been asked to do some other stuff with the EBF. So I'm on the EBF council until 2023. Um, so God willing, we'll go to uh, Amsterdam for the next meeting in uh, September. But it's a real joy to meet people from across Europe, the Middle East and Central Asia. Such different experiences of, of life, never mind of church, and yet drawn together in a really strong um, sense of solidarity, I guess. There's a real... Um, sense of belonging to one another and care for one another that I don't think we always pick up as British Baptists because I mean we're the biggest union numerically we kind of have other layers so you know you've got churches and then regional ministers and then you know core leadership team or, or whatever whereas in some of the unions you know there's there's a dozen churches and the general secretary leads them all or whatever you know it's a very different um way of working so we're um, but it was good to be part of it and uh getting a new general secretary i think later this year the ebf so it'll be an interesting time for them mm. so we've um we've actually been quite um taken by how many people have been tuning in from across the world is is that right um you've got the stats there david do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of um how we've we've seemed to have accidentally grown a bit of an international audience yeah it's wonderful now i mean talking of david being on the podcast today um we we have some downloads regularly in Austria. 1.2% of our audience is coming from Austria. So that's not just David. That must be others as well. Um, 
we're getting getting a little bit of interest in Italy, and then we've got some solo downloaders in Brazil and the Czech Republic and Georgia and the Netherlands. So you know, hat tip to all the folks there who are listening each week. And then we've developed a bit of a following in India, um, and our largest international uh, set of listeners is in the United States of America. So a good spread of nations there. Mm. We're starting to. Um have some conversations about a potential season two should we say this i don't know if we should say this yet but we're 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 starting to have a conversation about season two and um we're just thinking about kind of having an international slot each time aren't we so um it's interesting though that um david mentioned the scottish baptist union and then obviously um that technically counts as an international slot in itself it absolutely does and uh, in baptist terms anyway Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, I I spent, um, as will be revealed in the conversation you're about to tune into, um, five years in Scotland, and um, it is a very different Baptist Union, and it's really interesting how if it was my first experience of how different Baptist unions can have such a different flavour to them, even though the Scottish Baptist Union, in some ways, is very similar to um, ours in in Baptist Union of Great Britain. Um, but it has got a very distinct flavour of its own as well. And um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's interesting. And I also, I should say, as a complete disclaimer, that when I was talking to David, um, we also talked about St Andrews being the very best place to go and study theology <laughs> as an undergraduate. And um, and I would like to just add the disclaimer now that I have a new role and the other best place to go and study theology as an undergraduate in the Baptist world would obviously be Regent's Park um, in Oxford. Um, so if you want to go to Scotland, <laughs> St Andrews, if you like to stay in England, you know, there's a very good university in Oxford, I've heard. So just adding my disclaimer now. I wondered where you were going with that. And uh, then it all fell into place. Yes. Uh, but other colleges are available. I've heard there's some um, very, very good um, other Baptist training colleges. Absolutely right. And uh, perhaps we'll uh, get others on to extol the virtues of those um, at various points. <laughs> Just covering my back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think you've covered that really nicely. I don't think anyone will, you know, take umbrage at all. No, very great. Well, um, shall we shall we move on quickly to uh, the fabulous uh, interview that was David um, coming from Austria in uh, what I think we initially hear is a little bit of an Austrian accent in his English. Um, so, shall we tune in? Yeah, let's do it. Hello, David. Hi. Guten Tag, I believe. Um, in fact, yeah. is that... Christy. <laughs> Christy is what you say in this part of Austria. I was going to say, is it? Yeah, that's... So, um, so, so you are, um, you are a Baptist um, and, and you're um, speaking to us from not um, what we might describe as the Baptist Union of Great Britain right now, um, but very much a different association, federation, union. How would you, how would you describe what you are? Uh, let's start with that. Oh, uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, so a British Baptist or born and bred British Baptist uh, via Scotland. Um, and I now work and minister with the Austrian Baptist Union. 
Um, so I live as of February of this year in the middle of the Alps in Bad Ischl, which is famously the town where World War One was declared. Uh, but it's also apart from that, very, very beautiful. Um, and yeah, I've been here, I've just started uh, a new ministry uh, with a church here in Bad Ischl, and we are loving moving from city life to the countryside. So you're um, originally a British Baptist. Why, why mm. are you a Baptist? Let's start there. Well, um, both my parents are Baptists, so I kind of grew up in the tribe, as it were. And then uh, did the traditional thing of pastor's kid, of kind of moving around a lot and uh, got to the point where I was deciding where to go to university and uh, chose myself where to go. Uh, So I moved as far away from South England as I could and ended up in St. Andrews Um, (laughs) and ended up literally I didn't know Aberdeen did what I wanted to do otherwise it might have been Aberdeen uh, yeah and then uh, for various reasons ended up in the vineyard church uh, in St Andrews my first three years of my degree and loved it had a complete blast uh, but uh, and did like a summer program with them um, and still adore the church and uh, but kept noticing very, very deep-rooted Baptist impulses within me that kind of ran up against the vineyard way of doing leadership and the idea that all vision comes from the top and gets put down. And I was like, oh, we should ask everyone in the church what they think and go upwards instead. Uh, So that was part of the point where I was like, hmm, maybe I am very Baptist and that's not going to disappear anytime soon. so yeah, that is kind of, uh, you know, that was my Amish years of wandering and then came back into the, the Baptist fold. I, I love the idea of the years of wandering taking you um, as far as the vineyard. <laughs> St. Andrews. It was very, very radical. <laughs> um, so um, tell us a bit about, um, you studied theology in German at university. Yeah. Yeah. And you did, um, did you do a year abroad? I did, yeah. Um, so this is not going. This story is not going to uh, show me in a good light. So I studied. Um, I originally wanted to study modern languages, and they did French and Spanish at uh, school. So I thought, oh, I could really do a do with a challenging university. So I started Russian. I very quickly noticed that that was maybe a challenge too far. Um, so ended up in uh, doing German. And at some point um, as well, I felt God calling me into ministry. So uh, had a very uh, nice chat with Steve Holmes, who then managed to get me smuggled onto the theology part of the course. Uh, so I ended up with theology in German, had to do a year abroad, as you say, uh, which I, I've always had a bit of a... Uh, unorthodox streak within me so I decided oh, Germany everyone does Germany I'll do something else uh, so I ended up in Austria and I wasn't entirely sure beforehand where Austria was on the map um, but I kind of ended up in Austria then working with a Baptist church so I did a year out with a Baptist church um, Austria is kind of like Austria German is kind of like the Glasgow variant of Scottish English, like a really strong dialect. And my teacher had come from very nice North Germany. So I kind of got off the plane. I was like, I don't know what I've been learning for two years, but it's clearly not been German. <laughs> yeah. And had a whale of a time that year. Yeah. Um, you obviously went to the very best universities. Of um, course. 
Are, are there other universities on offer? That I am told there are other universities available, but to do your undergraduate theology degree, might one might argue that um, you chose the very best one to go and have those. Companies. I would think so, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I remember meeting you. I don't know if you remember this, but um, I remember meeting you at St Mary's College um, barbecue. I think it was. I do remember this. Um, and I was also putting in an application for Baptist ministry at the time. Um, I do remember this as well. You told me. <laughs> Um, and my mum will read your um, application form. And what you need to do is uh, just stick a chocolate bar in there. And you'll get through. <laughs> and I, I didn't uh, hasten to add because Polly, um, practically, I thought it might melt and then it get a bit sticky. But um, I, I remember you telling me that and thinking, oh, OK, the people who are reading this on the other side are nice, normal people who, who like chocolate bars. And that's sort of really kind of comforting as an idea for, yes. for writing these very things. Should, should put in for the record, I don't think Vicky Bunce is that easily corrupted. <laughs> um, though maybe with Maltesers, I'm not sure. <laughs> she, she will take the chocolate regardless, presumably. Yeah. As yeah. Well. yeah. Um, so, um, no, I, but I think... Um, it's interesting to me that, that we've we've had a conversation in the past that there have been quite a few of us who've ended up in Baptist life out of St Andrews particularly and mm. um, I I wonder do you think why do you think that is um what, what do you think it is about that particular place or space that seems to lend itself to forming Baptist ministers and theology Oof. A very out, very out there question. I don't know. I think, I think one of the things St Andrews does very well is because of the collegial nature of the divinity school. You're kind of, you're placed in a context where you have a lot of exposure to a lot of different viewpoints on uh, not just within the, the, the formal structure of the degree, but also on a friendship level. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly my experience has always been uh, or has often been as Baptist, the kind of, they're this group of people that kind of sit in the middle of the church thing. So uh, kind of, you know, if you look at the Austrian scene, for example, all the evangelicals and Pentecostals are worried that the Baptists are far too uh, mainstream and all the mainstream churches are worried that the Baptists are far too evangelical and Pentecostal. And it's kind of, <laughs> I think it's a good training ground for this kind of rooted idea of Baptist identity where you're kind of a bit uncomfortable everywhere. Um, and you're kind of holding on for that middle mm. yeah I always um joke from my time um at St Andrews that uh if Jesus wasn't the right answer Bart was um and uh, nobody else can see but um behind David right now there is a, a beautiful selection of the complete works of Karl Bart on the top shelf of a, a bookshelf it's it's a very impressive zoom background um <laughs> so so you you've you've went through St Andrews um you had a year out in Germany in, in fact in Austria in Austria to do German that wasn't German anymore and uh so tell me how how did the whole call to ministry but also decide to go and be in Austria thing come to be um because I guess you could have come and trained in a in a British Baptist college and like you've gone on a on a different track tell us a bit about that yeah, so the call to ministry kind of happened in my first year, and it was always, I felt that it was a call to ministry abroad, um, partly because I was a modern languages nerd. Um, I really, something about speaking, I don't know, I don't think, don't think anyone else really has this other than people who study modern languages, but there's something um, 
no, I was having this conversation with, I think, Margaret Gibbs. Something about speaking a modern language. It's a bit like a drug that you kind of like, oh, I can make myself understood. <laughs> uh, so there was always been a bit of an aspect of, um, of that going on. And I had some conversations with EMS in my first and second year. And then Austria kind of happened. Um, and... Uh, the church that I served in for a year, I got on really well with. It was a really interesting and quirky church. It's still a very interesting and quirky church. Uh, and they effectively then invited me if I was willing to come back. Um, so the kind of I went back to complete my degree without offer on the table. Mm. So, um, so what's that meant in terms of getting accredited for you? Um, how does accreditation work in Austria? Has it yeah. <laughs> so there's a paper way and there's the actual lived reality way so the thing kind of you need to know about the austrian baptist union we're very very small there are less uh i think there's two colleagues three colleagues in full-time ministry everyone else which is another five of us are in some form of part-time ministry which is me included um or i have two half-time positions um and that's kind of it. So kind of you've got this formal process, but because you don't have many people, there's a lot of flexibility. So what I should have done is done similar to the English Union and gone and done uh, a year in a training college up in Ostein, just outside Berlin. Um, there's always been a bit of resistance to that from the Austrian side, because then people often don't come back to Austria. And so I kind of, I, I think the union leadership here kind of squinted slightly sideways at my degree, decided it was good enough, and I got, <laughs> I got in that way. So no formational aspect then? In, aside. Uh, well, I mean, I was, by the point I was ordained, then I had been two years within the local church kind of doing various stuff so kind of old school formational idea of being in the church formed rather than in a in a college being formed yeah um so you told us a little bit about um the austrian baptist union i wonder um how what's it look like looking on looking back at bugby from from your kind of position of off the outside kind of point of view um you know with the kind of austrian dialect I guess. What does it look like to look at us? It's very difficult to say. Like I left Bugby, I was 18 when I left Bugby. I, it was then most contact I had with British Baptist life with, with this Baptist Union of Scotland. Mm. It's still where I most have contacts and networks. So I have a very, like I don't see a lot of what's going on in Bugby uh, kind of on ground level. Um, you know, even if I know quite a few people kind of more on a national union leadership level. So it's very, it is very odd to see. Um, and it's one of those things where you don't want to then go in having only kind of a partial view and kind of give this authoritative pronouncement on what I see. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there are a lot of churches doing good stuff. Uh, yeah, definitely there's a much the broader range of life within Bugby than there are within certainly Austrian uh, context for example mm. and a lot more ability I see as well to hold with intention quite differing theological opinions and that I definitely uh, appreciate a lot um so um 
telling us a bit more about what you've been up to um because you have a particular thing with young people in youth work is that right in your um in your role and one of your yeah so maybe if I row back a little bit so for five years my first five years in Austria I was uh, part of a pastoral team of a church in Vienna there was mostly kind of young adults and students kind of half of the church and then refugees from Iran and Afghanistan half the church Um, and I had mostly responsibility for the kind of young adults uh, part of it so my entry into youth work I was never a classic youth worker in that role my entry in it kind of came from working with 18 to 24 year olds and kind of uh, some of them came from the states Virginia Texas um, and helping them kind of go through the process of uh, then leaving the churches they'd grown up in uh, going somewhere else in the world and noticing, ooh, life's maybe a bit more complex than we'd heard. And maybe some of the things I thought were very certain are not so certain. And how do I find my way? How do I come to my own faith in that? Um, and so and part of then helping to um, them to process that, I came to the idea of, well, maybe we can do children and youth work in a way that maybe sets people up a little bit better for the complexity of the world. Um, and uh, at some point in 2019, the Baptist Union uh, has had for the last 20 years uh, a youth and children's work as part of it. And uh, it became clear that the person who was doing it would no longer be doing it. And there was an idea of how it would go further. Cue much, much crisis and wringing of hands and we don't know. Uh, and at one point I said, well, I could imagine it doing it um, and I could imagine fulfilling that role this is what I would do. You can either kind of, kind of, this is my job description I've written for myself. You can kind of take it or leave it. <laughs> um, and they ended up taking it. So I've been doing that for a year and a half. Um, and so traditionally in Austria for the last 50 years, uh, youth work across all the churches has been kind of concentrated on summer camps. Um, it's big tradition. I mean, it goes back a hundred years plus in the youth movement in Germany, even in secular society, everything's about this camp that you kind of go run around in the wood. And that's kind of been the main way of doing youth work. Um, and I'm trying to move the union into a, the idea of where it's not just about that one week in the year where you've got teenagers and young people, but it's about the other 51 weeks of the year that the churches are doing it. So I'm trying to move away from kind of an events organization model into kind of equipping and resourcing local churches to do youth work and uh, children's work. And yeah, it's fun. Change management is the best thing on earth. <laughs> I'm joking about you reading a lot of family systems theory for no the family system theory is for the it's for my pastoral but yes it also comes in helpful <laughs> helpful with the union as well so, so tell us a bit about your current church um you've just you've just moved and you've moved in yeah. the pandemic um yeah and- awesome I recommend it everyone should everyone should start a new pastoral role in the middle of a pandemic it's really easy to meet people um, so, so what's the new church like and how is it different to, um, you, you know, it's, it's in the country, not the city, but kind of tell us a little bit, kind of, how does it feel? What's it, what's it like? Yeah, it's very, very, very different um, context. So uh, where, we, where I was in Vienna, I was in the, by far the most uh, progressive union church that there is. And I've now moved to one of the more conservative churches. So that's a big 
change. It's also country and cities are well, it's big everywhere. In Austria, it's especially big because Vienna kind of makes up a, a, a fifth of Austria's population. So there's quite a tension between the two different contexts. Um, the church itself it goes back to just after the war, or it goes back before the war. That was a Bible study. Um, but also before that, for uh, 300 years, there's been a history here of secret Protestantism. So Austria is kind of the heart of the Counter-Reformation uh, uh, and huge, huge, really brutal oppression of Protestants uh, in general and free churches in particular. Mm. Um, and that was everywhere except in this particular area of Austria where uh, people then have been meeting for hundreds of years for Bible studies. Um, very, very interesting Baptist story and hiding like Bibles in oak beams of houses. Um, so it's kind of, we have a bit of that history going on behind us in the church. Um, and then, like I say, after the Second World War, it was formed partly so they could have a legal body uh, with which to then do food parcels for people who had been affected by poverty after the war. Um, and it's kind of existed at kind of 30 members for the last couple of decades, give or take five in each direction. Um, yeah, uh, it's an interesting, interesting learning experience for me. Sounds really interesting. Do you think the theological identity is particularly different in Austria? I'm, I mean, is there, a, are there, you know, we, we look at Baptist principles in the, in the UK and perhaps we, um, you know, even between, we know there are some subtle differences between the Baptist Union of Great Britain and Baptist Union of Scotland. If anybody's ever lived between those two unions will know those, there are those differences and the same with mm. Um But I, I wonder again, are there kind of different theological emphases in shapes of church life, maybe? Yeah, I mean, this kind of the distinction that, or the tension there is between Bugby and Baptist Union of Scotland you kind of have within the Austrian Baptist Union just much more magnified <laughs> on a much uh, smaller family scale so maybe a third of the Baptist Union are kind of what I'd call kind of classic continental Baptists uh, so kind of stand very much within the German tradition a high commitment to theology uh, kind of a lot of Bugby would then find themselves uh, you know identifying what's going on a lot of the, then maybe another third is kind of evangelicals, broad evangelicals who out of convenience because of the way that religious uh, recognition laws worked or didn't work here, end up joining the Baptists. Um, and then a third again are Romanian uh, Baptists who came across in the last decade or so of the, um, of the Cold War and then afterwards and Romanian Baptists is definitely a very, very different influence of how to do theology and how to do church and uh, the role of the pastor and uh, different issues of like freedom of conscience and that kind of stuff, um, which makes for some bumpy waters sometimes within our national life. Because, you know, even when you kind of come to, to talk about an issue, there's three different ways then of should we all be thinking the same about this or can we allow difference? And if we have difference, well, what's the basis then even of our unity? Um, yeah. Hmm. Declaration of principle as you have it in Bugby doesn't exist here, which I think is a structural weakness. Hmm. Um, I think that is a very, very useful tool. You need something to declare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, over all this time of, um, of kind of 
of, of Baptist ministry and Baptist formation for you. Um, I wonder if there have been particular people who've been influential in that for you. Hmm. I think definitely, uh, definitely needs to be a shout out to Steve Holmes up in St. Andrews, who is a modern day saint in so many ways and uh, is Mr. Baptist and Mr. Theology, uh, but also really models generosity of interpretation, generosity of discussing other opinions, uh, but also being really clear on his own convictions. Uh, and I learned a ton from him, both formally and informally. Um, also, uh, a shout out to my uh, former colleague and general secretary of the Austrian Baptist Union, Walter Klimt, who um, I think has such a clear idea of what it means to be Baptist uh, in uh, a culture which is even a church culture within Austria, which is very much not have any doesn't have any connection to the free church tradition um and i think he does a really good job of modeling a positive baptist vision which isn't just about what we're against uh but what we're for mm. um and then the third honorary mention so i can't my trinity going there uh andrew volinson who in my last year at st andrew's baptist church was the pastor there and he was just such a excellent model of uh pastoral hearts and uh, huge, huge love and really good, thought-provoking, solid preaching and pastoral ministry. And yeah. Hmm. So a trinity, a trinity to, of saints to go with you. Um, yeah. yeah um, we've talked about in the past that um, having both been at St. Andrews and I studied under Steve um, that, uh, that there was often you know for me it was it was often dissertation conversations so there I am meant to be discussing a you know Baptist Baptist hymn writer from the 17th century actually talking about my ministry ministry application um and I remember once him um really cottoning on I was working as a very very skinned pastoral assistant and um just offering to pay my train fare uh down to visit Baptist colleges and I just really um that sort of generosity being such a huge moment of vocational kind of affirmation I think because mm. I didn't take him up on it it was fine I managed but it was um it was just the fact that he would do that that was kind of mm. itself like he wasn't just saying this stuff he really meant it um and I think yeah it's, it was um like you say it's really um quite special to kind of study under somebody who took their theological convictions very very seriously but in a way that was um hugely appreciative of lots of other traditions at the same time and I think mm. um, holding both things together yeah he's a hugely hugely generous thinker as well you know mm. um and he preached one sermon on revelation 20 which is not this kind of sermon that you wouldn't immediately think to preach on uh but it was on um when I towards the end of my time in the baptist church uh, knowing that I'd come back to work with uh traumatized people in refugee ministry and all that kind of thing. He preached this one sermon on uh, Revelation 20 and God's ending of evil. And it had the line, God would squish out evil as easily as someone smushing out a moth or squidging a moth. And uh, that just, uh, that gave me a vision of uh, to work with them for the next years that I lived off for a really long time afterwards. 
Tell us about that. Tell us about the refugees. So, um, as most people probably remember, Austria was very much caught up within the 2015 movement of people. Uh, but even before that, our church has been working with refugees um, uh, for pretty much since it was founded 20 years ago. Um, and so uh, we work mostly with people from Iran or Afghanistan. Um, and so it was a combination of Farsi language services have been going on for now 20 years, the so Persian. Um, and then also uh, legal counseling, uh, crisis pastoral care, then pointing towards other resources. Um, and you've got really the whole range. So Iran is very much a, it's quite an educated country. Um, Afghanistan, no. Uh, there's thousands of years of history, which means that Afghans and Iranians often don't get on very well at all. So you're kind of having to work with that kind of history within a local church whilst then also navigating how, how do you do ministry with people who have often undergone very traumatic stuff on their journey to um, Europe and then are often then sitting unable to do school or unable to work or do anything for four years, five years, sometimes in a room with three other people. And obviously that has massive outworkings on the, on the psyche. Um, and at the same time to be there where uh, God was doing really interesting stuff. So you have this history of enmity and then we have our communion services where then people from Iran and Afghanistan are serving communion together and coming forward for communion together. And that's kind of, it's one of those things where you kind of see how, uh, how life is different uh, in the light of cross and resurrection. Mm. And that was, for, that was really special, special, special time. So you've had these big pastoral care, big ministry things happening. Um, you've been um, in 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 Europe in the middle of a pandemic. Um, your um, your your parents are in the UK. Um, what's it What's it been like in terms of kind of family life and the rest of your life? What does What does that look like? Can you uh, do you want to tell us anything about? Um, uh, how how how's the rest of David? I guess is what I what I'm asking. What's going on for that? What else do you do? So, um, yeah, well, we just moved, which is uh, we spent the first half of lockdown. Uh, well, I spent some of the first half of the lockdown in hospital because I had an emergency operation <laughs> straight out of the A and E, and then a second emergency operation straight out of A and E two weeks later uh a plus definitely recommend um no we spent the first half of lockdown on 80 square meters i realize in the uk you don't think about flats in terms of square meters but basically a three-room flat uh with two kids under three at that point or under four uh so we're now living in five rooms with a balcony and so that immediately has been a huge change um and um yeah it's been it's been a challenging year so i've had health problems and uh baby has had health problems as well as in the intensive care for a bit so um part part of the reason for the move was we just we just need to have a change of scenery and uh maybe move away from so much drama to start again and in that sense it's been great 
like our, our daughter, bless her, in Vienna was never very good at getting muddy or dirty or cold or wet. Uh, like very much the traditional city kid. And since we've been here, she's now running around and jumping into streams and is ready to go swimming. So things like that have been very, very fun at the moment. Yeah. Um, my wife is also trying to find, Mary is trying to find work at the moment, which is also not fun during the pandemic, but uh, I'm sure even that will work out in due course. Yeah. And um, what else is it that you, you as a family or perhaps you in particular do for fun? What, what, what is your... We love cooking. So we're very competitive, Mary and I, um, which is excellent because we always try and outcook each other. <laughs> so- so the level of our cooking has just gone up and up and up since we've been married. Uh, and uh, especially we kind of uh, Mexican food and Indian food, because there's no chance you're going to get Indian food in a restaurant here in Austria. So kind of she's now started this special range of kind of raisin and coconut naan, which we make at home. And um, yeah. And uh, Mary's also learned to cook recently. Um, there's a kind of a Persian dish with rice and um, uh, pomegranate. I couldn't think of the English word there. Um, <laughs> pomegranate and kind of saffron rice. And then you kind of bake it so that the rice forms its crispy crust and uh, it's with lamb then. Oh, amazing. Uh, we like food. Uh, <laughs> and we've also been ex- enjoying exploring the mountains as well recently. Mm. So we bought our first ever car when we moved at the age of 30. Crazy. Because public transport is so good in Vienna, we didn't need one. And we got this little tiny, vibrant, like yellow, lime green citron cactus, uh, kind of not sticking out too much in a small town. Um, so we're trying <laughs> going up the mountains and this tiny little citron cactus, citron cactus, kind of hoping that I don't have to change down gears anymore because I'm already in first. And where do I go after that <laughs> to get up this mountain? So that's also been a huge amount of fun. Mm. Um, you've you've done all of this interview in English. Um, it's an interview. Yeah. I'll call it an interview. It's, it makes it sound. Oh yeah, it sounds fun. sounds very grand. Um, yeah, yeah, no, 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 you should take that. <laughs> You've done all of this in English. Um, how has that been? Because I guess, do you speak a lot of English anymore? Is it um... Not at this level, no. So um, we obviously, English is our home language. Um, it's very important for us that our kids have one mother language that they're very rooted in, even if the rest of their life they'll be in German or the rest of their life here, certainly they'll be in German. But certainly my working language then for theological stuff and uh, anything more than what we need from the shops um, is definitely German. So, so far it's been doing fine. I'm also doing a master's uh, study with the University of Wales, Trinity St. David, and I do kind of blur my way through meetings with my supervisor there and can't think how to form more complicated academic sentences on the fly and things like that. Yeah. People think learning a second language means you'll be able to speak both of them really well. It actually just means that you can't speak either very well. <laughs> you kind of lose the ability to speak the, your mother language and use your ability to not, you're never really fully fluent like a native in the second language. And you're kind of just confused. It's like a blancmange that's gone out really well, really badly. I um, I enjoy it because it's um, it's got like this sort of, sort of German twangs to it. Um, yeah. And- there's some of the phrases it use and I think 
oh that's a I, I recognize that from from Germany and I, I love yeah it. I, I do translate a lot of German phrases in my head yeah yeah. yeah, my wife is much better at keeping English and German grammar separately than I am. It might just, it might just be me. Just might just, might just not be very good at it. No, I think, I think, I think, I think you describe what um, other people often describe, and I think it's, I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm very, um, I'm very impressed. I would definitely. Yeah. I'm also told by German colleagues I have quite a strong Austrian accent as well. Hmm. I guess that makes sense if you've learned a lot of your German in Austria. Yeah. Mm. I'm very confused when I go to German supermarkets because everything's labelled very differently. The food is one of the areas, especially where it's all very regional. You just need to think of what bread rolls are called in English. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of that is very, very confusing where I can't find any Karotten in the supermarket because they're called Möhren in North Germany or I can't find any Paradiese because they're called Tomatenlands. Yeah. I look very clueless. <laughs> Just to be clear, what is the correct word for a bread roll in English? A bread roll. <laughs> um, it's a bat, I mean, or a cob. Yeah, 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 no. Um, so we always finish with um, two questions that we try and ask everybody. Mm. In our podcast. And, um, I, and I... Um, I'm going to get them up. Well, that'll be helpful, wouldn't it? Um, and I... <laughs> two, two, same two questions, but I need to look them up each time. <laughs> it's, um, I, I got distracted by the bread rolls. They were very compelling. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, if you had one thing to declare to the union, what would it be? Yeah, when we were talking about this in the pre-interview, I said, oh, it's a bit... <laughs> Declaring something to a union I'm not part of, it's a bit like the guest preacher coming and delivering a fire and brimstone service, a sermon and then just getting back in their car and driving away for someone else to pick up the pieces. So <laughs> I'm going to try and take this, uh, this privilege of responsibility very uh, seriously. No, I think one thing I would definitely say is uh, I know uh, Brexit has changed the landscape somewhat. And I know when we often think about world mission, we often think about things happening in Asia or South America or Africa. And that's all good. But I would definitely say don't forget Europe. You know, with the exception of Germany, maybe France, um, we are mostly very small unions, mostly very made up of very small churches, quite often unresourced um, or very underresourced. And it, um, and yet God's doing really exciting things. Um, and it, it really means a lot, you know, if churches in the UK were to think about just maybe connecting with a union or connecting with a church somewhere in Europe and just partnering with them, hearing their stories, maybe guest preaching. It's very easy at the moment with Zoom, um, just so that this relationship between the different Baptist unions um, and between different churches and unions uh, can continue to grow. You know, I think of austria for example but also like bulgaria where there's been a lot of problems uh the last years about religious freedom um which has been very difficult for baptists or in lebanon which is a tiny tiny baptist union doing uh awesome refugee work and then a complete education non-profit they set up there and then on top of that when the beirut explosion happened last year they were first crisis responders to that and there's just so much exciting things going on and it would be a shame if that disappeared off the radar of british baptists 
Well, I don't think that was a fire and brimstone sermon. I think that was a no. <laughs> can say something better than somebody who's been there all the time can say it. Um, so if you think Baptists have one thing to declare to the world, what would it be? So I wrote, um, I did get formed at some point and I had to do it in an essay as part of my equivalent of the newly accredited minister. And I, uh, the last part of this was thinking about this question. And um, I think one of the things, and this is even more true now than when I wrote it, is we kind of, conversations have become ever more divided and polarized in our society. Um, you, know, you just have to look at America and masks or no masks or Brexit in the UK. And I think one of the things that Baptists have to offer to the world is a tradition that takes the freedom of conscience very, very seriously and the freedom of each person to have their own conviction. And yet also has this communal outworking where people of very different convictions then can still come together and discern together and talk together. Um, and I think um, there's, a, there's a lived experience and a lived virtue as a tradition that we have there that, um, that can uh, really serve as a prophetic witness to the world. As this can be the place uh, where even if on no other issue you can agree, you can come together, you can hear the word together, you can share communion together. Um, and I think that could be something we have to, to declare to the world. Hmm. I like that. What we have to declare to the world is something about listening and sharing life. Love it. Thank you very much, David. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you today, to, um, to hear a bit of Baptist life beyond the immediate uh, British Baptist world. In, um, I think people will find that really interesting to hear as well. So um, thank you for your time um, and for bringing yourself and, and your stories to us today. Yeah, absolute pleasure. So David, what did you make of that? Oh, there were lots of things which I found myself wanting to write down. I, I love the idea of having deep-rooted Baptist impulses. Uh, I wonder if I've got any of them or if I want any of them. I, I quite I liked that as a phrase. Um, I really sort of resonated in a way with what David said about Baptists seem to have a bit of a calling ecumenically to be slightly uncomfortable everywhere. And we sort of sit between a lot of different stalls and the challenge is not to fall between them, I guess. But certainly, so where I was at university, the city I was in, I think the, the Baptist church and the evangelical Anglican church were sort of the only two churches that sat between the two different groups of churches mm. gathered together in the city. And I think it was really interesting that Baptists sort of had enough kudos with the vineyard and what was then New Frontiers and other groups like that but equally could sit in a room with the Methodists, the Anglicans, the Catholics. Um, and neither of those are quite where you are, but equally they're both where you are. And so I, I thought that was a really interesting thing for him to pick up. Um, I confess to not having read much Karl Barth. I feel like that's a confession <laughs> I should make after you two shared that Karl Barth's the answer to whatever. Um, yeah, I really missed out. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, okay. I'm, and to oh, be honest, really? It's a price I'm prepared to pay. I'm 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 all right with that. Um, I do have a a proper copy of Calvin's Institutes I haven't finished, um, which uh, we'll do at some point. But Karl Barth is not hugely on my list, I have to say. Um, and then the other thing that I did think was very interesting was how David spoke about 
the work he's now doing, as well as in the local church with um, the children and youth work within the Austrian Union, um, and how he wants to sh help shape it so that it equips children and young people for the complexity of the world. And I think that is such a wonderful uh, way of thinking about it and such a challenge. And uh, I mean, we here at our own church, we're, we're big fans of godly play as a mm. way of, of giving children space to think and engage and, and be led by the spirit themselves rather than seeing them as empty vessels to be filled. Um, and I'm very blessed to work with a very gifted and talented children and families worker who brings huge amounts of wisdom as well as creativity to that work. Um, but I, I think that is a real challenge actually is, is to try and help um, children and, and young people um, find their faith in a way which enables them to engage with the world around them, which is often already so different from the world of their parents at the same age. And uh, I, I've, it was very thought provoking to hear him talk in those terms. Yeah, absolutely. Just, um, I really agree with that. And I'm, I'm thinking, um, you kind of picked up uh, a week or so ago, this kind of idea, um, around kind of the call, um, the call to Baptist ministry as kind of we're first generation Baptist ministers. Yeah, we are. The right way of putting it. In fact, we're first generation baptist i am are you yep. first generation baptist i'm a yep. first generation baptist um so we've both kind of moved into baptist life kind of by accident like a few of our guests actually have also found mm. themselves in a baptist church and therefore a baptist but the other story of how people find themselves in baptist ministry seems to be a conversation around my parents are in baptist ministry and therefore i've found myself in baptist ministry too and um and obviously David sat very light to that and didn't really mm -hmm. talk about it and and um he's obviously had his own call and his own journey in but I I wonder um yeah I, I just I think there's something really interesting there isn't there kind of um about yeah what what does it mean to be called into this thing we call the Baptist family it's often a phrase we kind of you know it gets shouted about all over the all over the place we use this language of baptist family and i i think um yeah it's interesting because when your family aren't part of the baptist family it feels like for me a little bit more disjointed perhaps as language goes um and i just um yeah i wonder for for my kids in turn what it will be to have such a baptist mother and and kind of just aware of of something of perpetuating something through the generational chains and and kind of also wanting to say that I don't want to say family has to be um this thing that's biological right but it's it's definitely got to be this adoptive thing that we're adopted into that, yeah yeah so I kind of um got a lot of thoughts about that and I guess I'm mm. I'm trying to unscramble them here out loud very badly yeah. <laughs> over to you David and you're going to say something wise and coherent into the wow. middle of my I think anyone who listens to my sermons regularly will know that that is highly unlikely. Um, but I mean, for you guys, I mean, there'll be an interesting dynamic, won't there, of kids growing up, you know, with a an Anglican parent and a, and a Baptist parent. So it'd be interesting to see uh, whether they see being Baptist as being the rebellious way to live uh, in some in some way. Uh, but yeah, I, I really kind of hope so. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. <laughs> 
Yeah, very interesting. I mean, I, I, I've not had any deep, profound conversations about Baptist identity with my children, um, other than they know that churches do things differently and uh, you know, gradually we'll explore more and more. But for them, this is church and this is how it mm. is. I guess the, the questions will come when they, if they, as and when they experience uh, other things. It's really interesting what you pick up there about Baptist family. Um, I remember being at college and, and someone lecturing, a guest lecturer came in and they were very keen to not use the phrase Baptist family. And uh, it was very interesting to me why that was the case. And, and they were advocating to refer to the Baptist movement. And I have to say, I found myself doing that more and more, I think, over mm. the years. And th their concern was more that family sort of implied static. We already know who everybody is, etc. Now, as family life has changed, I'm not sure that's true. I mean, certainly wouldn't be true for my family um so perhaps it's lost a bit of that in a good way um but movement though implies we're working for something we're sort of i don't know traveling in a direction um so i tend to use them interchangeably i guess um now um i do remember that when i went to university there was a church in the center of the city uh, called the family church i mean i think they probably didn't intonate it in the way that I just did but um, and I know there were some people who found that I don't know not offensive but I, I got what they were they were meaning and it was a very big church and lots of people but rather wonderful it's called something else now but I know a number of people really struggled with that because for them that implied if you were sort of a husband wife with 2.4 children this was for you and if you somehow didn't measure up in that way it wasn't for you. And I hadn't heard it like that because for me, family doesn't mean that because that's not my family <laughs> background and history. I think, um, yes, yes, I want, I can't, yeah. So for me also, family doesn't fit kind of whatever the kind of serial packet image mm -hmm. is. So I also want to say, yeah, no, that's not what family means in my head. But it's interesting that clearly is so much of what family can mean for other people in churchy world and mm. I think um yeah I guess I kind of um I also sit very light to the family language um it's, it's a dialogue I've had in quite a lot of different places partly I remember um when I was at theological college I remember people um often praying for us to go back to our families um like we pray for our families that we're going back to who've missed us who've given us up for two days and and I really do appreciate that. I really appreciate that. It's a huge thing, right? Like, and now I have young kids and um, a particular dynamic of family life. Like, I really, really appreciate what that means and that kind of stress you might be putting on other family members to um, to take the lead for you. But I, I, I used to go back to an empty house and it made me feel so lonely each week when people prayed that prayer. Um, and it was done in such good faith. Like, it was really done compassionately and kindly and to kind of support us all but it made me just feel very alone because I was going to go back to this house that I would empty you know that was empty that I would have to turn the heating on I would have to cook my own tea um you know I'd and I wouldn't say goodnight to anybody and there would be nobody to download my how is your last couple of days dear and um no, I also appreciate that I didn't go back to, you know, somebody else's shoes in the middle of the hallway, having not put a shoe <laughs> basket. But like, you know, it's that sort of kind of that thing where when when it's not you, it, it, it can feel 
even more not you and so that was the point I really became aware the family language and so I also tried really to kind of sit to one side of it and to kind of critique when it gets used in church life um yeah we were yeah yeah. I'm aware that we we were talking about this because we were actually thinking about kind of how interesting it was to be called in as kind of first generation or or not um and I um I, I, so I keep asking people, and perhaps because I guess my my call has recently changed, I, I keep wanting to ask people, what does a call feel like? And what does it mean to be called in? Um, and how much that's something that's familiar in the way that perhaps family might be, uh, or might not be, depending on your family. Um, but also, yeah, I guess, I guess, how do, how do you discern a call? I guess that I've got this question that keeps coming up in my head, like, what does mean for other people because I know what it feels like for me and I know how God speaks to me when I'm discerning the call but I'm really fascinated as to how it might feel or or be or um be an experience in general for other people I guess they're kind of on the human level really uh you know as you interact with God what's it what is it feeling like to be called wow well I mean I guess that's um something that we could spend hours and hours exploring it's such a, a big and interesting thing i think um for me i guess i'll just comment on a couple of things the first is that i've always found whenever god's called me to anything not just to the two churches i've i've served uh, thus far but to other things as well often i have a sense of being prepared that something new is coming before i know quite what it is and uh, there's a I, I feel like sometimes um god starts to detach me from the thing i'm currently sort of engaged in before i know what the next thing is going to be and and, and that may be as much to, to do with you know god graciously dealing with my own personality i'm not very good at half being involved in things i'm quite full into something i'm either you know very involved and committed to something or I tend to not be involved at all and so perhaps God needs to cut some strings for me to begin attaching them to other things but I find that there's usually some sort of preparatory stuff that goes on in me even though I very seldom can articulate that or even discern that accurately at the time I can usually look back and see that um for me the other thing that's crucial and I think this is perhaps a particularly Baptist thing as well is that there is definitely, uh, for me anyway, a, a communal element to discerning a call. Um, I mean, even if I think of the call to ministry, for example, you know, how many people are potentially involved in that process? Mm. So uh, it happened to me while I was at, at university, although I think I knew well before that, really, I was in denial for quite some time. Um, and the church where I was uh, at home uh sort of weren't asked formally to vote but they were very supportive in general and then the church where i was at university that agreed to send me into ministry they all had to discern in a church meeting and then there was the regional ministerial recognition committee and then there was the people at college and then i had to go because i was being a church-based student to have another church of 250 people or whatever discern whether i was called to them so you, know, you end up with hundreds of people being involved and there's something wonderfully affirming when that comes together in the right way, but I get how it can also be deeply challenging. 
Um, I was I was very blessed. I think I always by lots of people who encouraged me. Um, the lady was my Sunday school teacher when I was three and four, who wrote one of my references when I applied for ministry. Who remains one of the great saints of the church to this very day? Hat tip to Lynn Styles. I'm not sure she's a listener yet, but anyone who knows Lynn will know what a wonderful woman she is. And she she wrote my reference saying she knew at the age of four. And wow. uh, that I, I mean I totally trust her capacity to discern these things, and I don't think she'd say that unless she meant it. But I, because I did a bit of public speaking, I thought people just thought that I was good at talking out loud. And I mean, that's what my degree's in reading out loud, really, English and drama. But I, I think I knew that ministry was more than that. And so I didn't, I just said, oh, people just think because I you know, can do a good Bible reading that that's the same thing. And so I kind of went through a number of years dismissing it and went to university, met a whole different group of people in church, didn't tell them anything. And, you know, first cup of coffee I have with the minister says to me, I really think that uh, this is something you should be exploring. And I gone out of my way to not give that impression so it was uh one of those moments where going somewhere else but again a community together discerning was a core part of of how it came to be for me and everything since you know i mean even if it's interviewing for a new job for example you know there's a community that are discerning with you even if it's sort of different yeah. in how it works and sometimes it's hard to trust that process because you're very much not in control of large elements of it but I think there's potentially something very releasing about that as well. So I, I also remember um, my minister when I was a teenager saying, oh, well, if there's um, if there's an interior call, there'll be an exterior reality to the call. And oh, that you, okay. um, you need to trust that. Um, and that's going to mean all sorts of things, right? That means other people see the gifts in you, but that's going to mean the practicalities are the right practicalities and um and i found that's generally generally been true um i think um certainly um in quite a few places i've I've generally always gone in with the belief that you have to just be yourself utterly yourself and try and articulate that weird sense of call thing that happens and for me um on a totally emotive level I realized that it feels very much like love because it's got to feel like trust yes Um, but I um I also think that um there have been a couple of times where I've you know I've, I've been a woman in ministry and that's not always been so well received and and there are a couple of times where I think, no, the Church of God did not get this. And I can sit with that. And actually, I can sit with that. And it's weird how peaceful I feel about those. Because again, I was myself, right? Like, and it was, I honoured God in what I did by applying for things or saying yes to things or having conversations about things. But it's interesting, we talked about the Scottish Baptist Union today. And it's, it's for me, SBU has been one of the places where, you know, somebody... Um, simply couldn't even cope with the idea that I wanted to have a conversation about applying for ministry and um, walked off, literally walked off in the middle of the conversation. Um, so I, I kind of, there are there are moments, I think, um, where you can be called and it's not heard by the church. There are also moments where 
you can simply have misheard the call and the remembrance where you've heard the call right. And I think um, in all of that, for me, it comes back to a sense of of genuine peacefulness of um, am I doing the am I doing what God has really laid on me to do? And am I honouring God and am I being myself? And if I'm all of those things really authentically or as authentically as I can possibly be, then um, God's will will help somehow or another. Because also I think God's such a um, such a weaver of second chances, right? That if the church of God fails to get it right the first time, mm. God's going to just keep creating opportunities. I, I do I have to believe that, really, I think. Um that God will always create kind of other places and spaces for you to be instead. Um, so, yeah, so for me, um, and obviously I've had a call alongside somebody who's also had a call and kind of juggling yes. those calls. And Rob would always say, oh, there's no such thing as a mutually exclusive vocation. That's always the thing he says in our life. And I absolutely disagree. I think that's a vocationally privileged thing to say. Um, <laughs> absolutely, there's such a thing as exclusive vocations. Um, I think his gets to take priority sometimes and I think very occasionally mine does too and um, so I think there are times where we have to do the kind of yeah the shuffle of whose vocational privilege gets to out now um, mm. which is an interesting thing for us as yeah as a couple in ministry I guess but um, it's um, for all things in all of those spaces I think it comes back to a weird kind of mixture of honesty and trust and and that's with God and with myself and with other people. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so much in that. And I think one of the hardest things when you're sensing a call, um, and particularly if you're then uh, trying to discern that with a group of people, whether it's an interview panel or a church or whatever, is to, is to show up as authentically yourself Um. And I think if you don't do that, you never quite know if if it doesn't happen, whether or or if it does actually, whether it's really you. you yeah. know what I, mean? I mean, we trust in the wisdom of people who are, are put in these places. But I think the courage to show up and let yourself be seen is a vulnerable thing to do. Um, but I think is more likely to lead to good decisions, even if uh, it's yeah, as I say, more vulnerable. Oh, and it is so vulnerable, isn't it? It's so yeah. awkward because you yeah. don't know what bits of yourself you're bringing in to a setting that you can't see, like, because there's all those shadow bits of yourself and the kind of bits that you don't know that you project. And, oh, it's so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a thing, but it's, I think, a really important thing um, because I would want somebody to judge me on the whole of me. Mm. Yeah. And I suspect it's such a significant thing that it's something we will return to in future podcasts because I'm sure it will come up in a variety of different ways with our future guests as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so David, I, I think you're doing the blessing tonight. I am. So let me uh, let me do that now. So we end with this blessing from the Order of Baptist Ministry. Living God. Enable us this day to be pilgrims and companions, committed to the way of Christ, faithful to the call of Christ, discerning the mind of Christ, offering the welcome of Christ, growing in the likeness of Christ, engaging in the mission of Christ, in the world that belongs to Christ. Amen.
Well, Beth, lovely to share this time with you. Thank you. So we uh, will be back next week with the final podcast of season one. Woo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> See you then. Bye.